Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Campstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hey, guys. And tonight we have a special guest with us, Brian Seskine. Hey, everybody. Brian Seskine here. I'm uh, a game designer for Cobalt Press, among other various companies. I'm uh, most known as that guy who keeps trying to put mimics in things. <laughs> are, are you <laughs> responsible for the mimic high-heeled shoe? I'm not, though I have been known to be the guy responsible for the moon-sized mimic. That's terrifying. It's no that moon. Is... <laughs> <laughs> That's the crossover we needed. Right. I think All the right. next step is the whole world is just one big mimic. <laughs> I mean, you're going to die. There's something to this. We should probably explore it. The Aztecs were right. <laughs> All right, Tyler, what's happening? Today we're going to talk to Brian about uh, his work, both with Cobalt Press and other companies, and we're going to talk about the soon-to-be-released Tome of Heroes from Cobalt Press, on which uh, Brian is one of the credited authors. So let's get right into it. Uh, yeah. Brian, tell us a little about yourself. How long, how long have you been playing tabletop RPGs? How did you get here? I think the first tabletop RPG I played, I was in high school, which I have to admit was very, very long ago because I'm an old guy. And we, we cheated and we were gods by like the second day. And so it didn't last long. It wasn't like a very long campaign. Um, and, you know, I played a bit in college, but my first real game is after I moved to California, I got invited to play Planescape, which is still a setting that is dear to my heart. And we had a very long running Planescape game where I believe I played a very dumb, abominable snowman named Thogar, who always spoke to, about himself in the third person. Good. Um, okay. I like this. Like you do. And uh, <laughs> so that that's where it started. Um, and I've been playing ever since, playing and running games ever since. Okay. I got to take a break right quick. I have never heard of Planescape. I'm going to look across the virtual aisle to see like Tyler Ash. Planescape is uh, one of the classic settings dating back to very, very far in D&D's history. They're there have been a couple of very, very good video games based on it. Um, it's it's where the city of Sigil comes from, the Lady of the Lady of Pain, a few other like really iconic parts of the D and D lore. We'll, we'll catch you up another time. Okay, yeah. sounds perfect. So, is this like three X days? Is this what we're talking about? It's like second um, edition. Second edition. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. It's also where a lot of the people like like Monty Cook and and Wolfgang. That's the way they got their start. Was on Planescape. Okay, that's awesome. Cool. So you've, you've been playing for a super long time, Brian. Um, yep. How did you get into designing for tabletop RPGs? <laughs> well, I, I started back with Wolfgang back in the open design days when it was still on LiveJournal. And back then, it was this was pre-Kickstarter. So back then, uh, he had this weird patri- patron model where we would, we would you'd pay a fee and you got to basically go onto a, a chat room and kind of learn as he was designing things and kind of give input. And it was from there that, that I basically learned how to do all of this. Um, and that was back in 2008, I think is when I started that 2007 and uh, open design later became basically morphed into Cobalt press. 
And uh, I've been with the companies from the beginning. Uh, oh, wow. I think my first credited book was Dark Roads and Golden Hells in, uh, I think it was 2011 or 2012, back in three, five days. So, yeah, I mean, I, so I've been doing this for a while, but it, it's that, that start with open design really kind of formed the chops that, that I needed to, to really keep going. It sounds like almost like the modern idea of like signing up for a boot camp, where it's like here's somebody at the pinnacle of of uh, pinnacle of a mountain's a dumb thing to say, <laughs> the the pinnacle of this field, right? Like this is what they do, and being able to like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna hop in, I'm gonna get to this chat room, I'm gonna watch you go through the process, I'm gonna contribute with you, and it sounds like you were able to take that and basically learn, like learn, I don't want to say learn the industry because the industry is probably a lot more complicated than just that process, but that's the thing you needed to get in, right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, the industry itself is, is very complicated. Once you get past the design stuff, when you start getting into more project management and learning, you know, about publishing and all that, all that stuff's a whole other, that's a whole other beast, but pure design, that's what I basically learned. And, you know, and if you want, I will give you the big secret that, that the core secret to game design do tell. Yes. Listening. And it's it's one single question. Where's the adventure? No matter what you're designing, if you can't answer that question with whatever you put in there, don't put it in there. Huh. And I've I've gone, I've been, you know, I people have asked me about, you know, setting design or whatever, and they say, like, well, what give me some notes, and I'll be like, Well, this city or whatever it is that they've done, where's the adventure in that? Because a lot of times new, new designers will do things like, well, it's a really beautiful place to live. It's really nice there. I'm like, why, why are we there? There's, yeah. there's no reason to go there. <laughs> there's a beautiful pool, so you're just going to sit by the pool all day. That's the, that's the plan. <laughs> they have great crepes, and, you know, and, and the, the fountains run with beer. But <laughs> yeah. it doesn't give you anything. Yeah, like, <laughs> if you're already in Utopia, if I have crepes and beer, what else do I need? Why would I even go adventuring? Exactly. Well, that's a, I think that's a very good point. And... Um... Uh, even resort towns, even places that seem idyllic on the surface, always have a dark underbelly. Always have something. Something can go wrong, even when you're on vacation. In fact, there's like, there's whole stories and episodes, like the beach episode, where people relax and then something comes to like shake it up. So you can always have adventure even in these idyllic sort of settings. Well, that's true, and and it's it's. That's the difference between the player's point of view and the designer's point of view. Like the designer knows that this idyllic setting isn't hiding a hellgate or, you know, a plague of leeches or whatever it is. But the players don't know that. So you make it seem like a really great place to be until, you know, the what the you know, it's a really great place to be until the uh the dung hits the fan, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> no, perfect. And, and I'm, I'm trying to think of how to take that advice and like moving away from like the, the scene or the region, the city, this place where I'd like, I can imagine applying that to uh, a race, a character, an item. Like there still has to be an adventure. There has to be a joy in playing. How do you think about applying it to those types of topics? Yeah. I mean, it works for everything. I mean, you know, if you're, if I've, you know, like I designed um, the new cat folk race for the Cobalt Press Southlands book, which is a whole other story that we can get into if you'd like, cause it's very funny, but the, <laughs> You know, when you're designing a race or, or an item or anything, you know, all too often it's 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 easy to to it's 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 too common to go down the easy path. Like, okay, this is a plus one sword. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's some adventure there, but it's not exactly adventurous. You know, on the other hand, if it's a sword that 
Yeah, it's plus one, but if you roll a one, it creates an earthquake. That's a little bit more adventurous. So, and you apply that with races too. I mean, you know, you especially because races are a story. Even though you're, even though you are um, giving it over to a player and they're playing it, every race has its own story. Like the Gear Forged in in Cobalt Press's Midgard setting are basically robots that have the soul of somebody who just didn't really want to die, and so they bought a new body. I mean, that's a whole story just in and of itself. Yeah, it's like too, not educated enough to become a lich, rich enough to become a robot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it happen. Yeah. No, perfect. I think that makes perfect sense. Okay, actually, I do want to get into the catfolk story because that sounded pretty interesting. <laughs> okay, so when so I uh, myself and Ben McFarland wrote the first Southlands book for Pathfinder, and uh, you know, which had a pretty good Kickstarter for it, and, and you know, we introduced a race called the Nikosi, who are um, basically were lions. And but they're not like lycanthropes; they they are natural shape changers. Well, as when we went from Pathfinder to Fifth Edition, the they had the, they had the Tabaxi, you know, the cat folk, and so it became like, well, what, what are the Nikosi? Are they Nikosi cat folk? What are they? And we had a couple of uh, projects that came out that used them interchangeably, and people got very confused. And we, we kept having to answer questions on, on the Facebook or on the Discord, like, okay, so which is a, is it cat folk? Is it Nikosi? Which is it? And we got so tired of answering these questions over and over and over and over again that when they, we decided to do a new version of the Southlands book for 5th edition, we went, okay, that's it. I'm, we're going to answer this question once and for all. And I created like two two sub races of cat folk. One of them's Tabaxi and one of them's Nikosi. And we went, here. Just stop asking us this question. <laughs> so you have a, a copy and paste. It's like page number, page number, go away. We don't want to talk to you anymore about this. <laughs> so if you're at home and you're thinking about messaging Brian uh, on this, don't. Yeah, no, I, I, I prefer <laughs> to previously answered questions. Done. Perfect. <laughs> let's hop into Toma Heroes. Okay. All right. So I, I think let's start with what is Toma Heroes? For folks at home who haven't heard about it, they've been hiding under a rock. They didn't see the Kickstarter. Uh, they, they haven't seen all of the, the content that folks are writing on it. What is Toma Heroes? I wrote this down because I didn't want to get it wrong and get in trouble. So <laughs> Toma Heroes is basically a compilation of options for players. I mean, there's stuff in there for jams too, but this is a book aimed at giving players new material to use in their games. So we have, there's 70, there's 70, seven zero new subclasses. There's more than 20 races and sub races. We got a dozen new backgrounds. There's, oodles of equipment, um, new ways of using magic, bunches of new spells, um, including two new power word spells that I designed because I think they're hysterically funny. <laughs> I do a lot of things in gaming because I think it's funny, which is probably not the best reason to design stuff. But, you know, <laughs> people are going to disagree with you there. It is <laughs> the best reason. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I chaos. Well, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> we've sort of previously mentioned Mimic Moon. So, yeah. I mean... <laughs> The Tome of Heroes is a if like if you are playing fifth, fifth edition and you are sort of not tired of it, but if you're like looking for something new, this is the book for you. My personal favorite, and not just because I designed it, but I did, is a new clerical subclass, the Portal Cleric. So if you're a cleric and you really want to teleport around a lot, 
we got you covered. You can even throw a shot, like with your weapon, into a portal and have the portal open up by the bad guy downrange and hit him. <laughs> nice. So now, if you're a cleric, you can actually think with portals? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I, I had a good time reading that one. Uh, like, the ability to deliver touch range spells through a portal and attack through it and, like, teleport people around. Usually that's a lot of things that wizards do, so it's fun to see clerics get to play with it. <laughs> I also noticed that you guys uh, really went uh, really went gung-ho on the guns. <laughs> um, most, most of the supplements I've seen have added, like, maybe one or two subclasses related to gunpowder. You're like, no, oops, just all of them get guns now. <laughs> Which we I really wanted to like. get, we wanted to, you know, we wanted to get it over with and just give them, give them all out at the same time. Now, you know, the guns were something that has, has, guns have been in the Midgard campaign setting for a long time. Usually, they were just in the, you know, only the dwarves had them in this sort of ones in Zobak, the one, the main city of the the setting, because it's a very clockworky um, city. So that you know, the the idea that they developed firearms was made sense, but we never really delved into gunpowder very much and so for this one we were like okay let's let's do that and, and i got the job to to handle gunpowder and i had to sit there thinking okay so why would you use these because the the directions i got was okay early firearms like renaissance level firearms and i went oh god why would you use those i mean they're <laughs> horribly inaccurate they exploded quite often or they just misfired and didn't work so i had to figure out a way to to do it so that You'd want to use it instead of just a bow or a crossbow, which is much more, you know, reliable. Mm -hmm. And so what I ended up settling on was exploding dice because I've played a lot of Deadlands and there's nothing more fun than rolling exploding dice over and over again. And I went, I thought to myself, you know, this, this would be a reason to do it. If you had a, if you had a weapon in fifth edition that had exploding dice I would use it, even if it oh, only huh. happened once a campaign. I'd still use it. <laughs> okay, and then for folks at home, explain what exploding dice are. Okay. Yes. So exploding dice basically means it's a, it's a it's a I don't, I don't remember who invented it first though. I have seen it in um, Deadlands, so the Savage World campaign setting uses it, or the Sa Savage World rule set uses it. Um, basically, it means when you're rolling damage, if you roll the highest number on whatever dice it is that you're rolling. You pick it up and roll it again and add to the total. So if you roll a you have a d6 and you roll a six, you get to roll it again. And if you roll another six, you keep rolling and you keep adding. Potentially, you could roll a million. It's not probable, but it's theoretically possible. But you know, anyone who's played Deadlands or Savage Worlds a lot probably has a story of that time that I rolled eighty. You know, <laughs> yeah. with a stick or you know whatever it was that they were using. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if you get to the point where you're rolling like 66 for damage, like all of a sudden the odds start creeping up that you're A, going to roll at least one six and that out of the pool of sixes you pulled out, you're going to get one more, one more. Um, the best thing to do is buy loaded dice. Like, let's just party. <laughs> I'm kidding at home. Don't. Yeah. That does save time. <laughs> yeah, now, just, now they're dead. I, yeah. Now, Brian and the rest of the designers were, were very smart about explaining this. Um, the number of times you can explode is capped by your proficiency bonus. So everyone at home thinking, oh, no, this is going to break my math. Don't worry. They, they put a very reasonable cap on it. Still feels very, very satisfying, but it won't break your game. Um, and the, the example for how it works specifically uses rogues, like rolling a pile of D6s to trigger exploding dice. So, yeah, 
it's very very well explained very well handled honestly I th- yeah it's a it is a well implemented rule i'm very happy with it there was a lot of debate about that oh go ahead yeah i uh i think the way that you guys uh did gunpowder in the system system was really unique and really cool like how bursting works and how certain classes get different features that they can use on a burst which is mm-hmm. um just a very cool feature and it, it like it seems silly when you think about it at first like you know gunpowder cleric or gunpowder sorcerer but it all feels kind of like sort of in the world like it's explained pretty well and justified so it doesn't come off as just this is ridiculous <laughs> there's a sorcerer with a bunch of mage hand guns <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about that's not ridiculous at all that's amazing it's, it's yes. awesome yeah i love it <laughs> awesome <laughs> there was a lot of debate about exactly well first of all there was a lot of debate on the cap or no cap there was a lot of discussion about like you know i was i was sort of in favor of not capping it yeah (laughs) yeah. but but, you know cooler heads prevailed and and we decided to put a cap on there and in hindsight it's probably better that we did um you know that said if your home game is is willing to do it and your gm's willing to do it go for it but you know the, the the thing that that you were saying before about making it feel part of the set part feel making it feel part of a fantasy setting was a big concern you know because there i i know a lot of a lot of my players in my home game are like no no i don't want any kind of sci-fi in my fantasy you know they are that's they are not down with that and so even gunpowder sort of pushes that envelope pretty close and so you have to do it in a certain way to, in order to make it feel like it makes sense in a fantasy world or else you end up with like barrier peaks all over again. <laughs> Uh, for people not familiar with Barrier Peaks, it was the official. I, was that first or second edition? I can't remember. Uh, it was first. It was first edition. It was Gary Gygax's Con Game, where you basically discover a crashed alien ship and fight robots and get laser guns. <laughs> it is exactly as cool as it sounds. That, that sounds, sounds pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah. That said, that module is endless because there must be eight hundred thousand rooms. There's nothing in them. Like <laughs> like you're in this ship and it's massive and it there's like all these rooms are marked and there's nothing in them. And it, it, it's a different style of play than what we do now. <laughs> yeah. Very classic first edition. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It actually sounds like what are, where we've come to is probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am curious. So uh, I noticed that you put the traditional gunslinger archetype uh, with Ranger. Most gunslinger things that I've uh, subclasses I've seen have been for fighter. Why have you guys chosen to do it for Ranger instead? Well, I think there's there's two main reasons. I mean, one, we're not allowed like because of the way op- the uh, because of the way the SRD works with Fifth Edition, the System Reference Document, which is basically the rules that say from that that's from Wizards of the Coast that say you are allowed to use this stuff in your Fifth Edition if you're going to sell it. This is the stuff Fifth Edition stuff you're allowed to use. So we they have a gunslinger, which is from Matt Mercer's side of things. And- oh, I didn't know that was officially part of and, it's, not, yeah. it's not part it's of the sort yeah. of it's sort of officially unofficially official yeah. the, the lawyers say stay out of the gray area every time you talk to them oh there yeah go. yeah <laughs> so we we didn't want to step on any of those toes so we went uh, you know okay let's think about this as a ranger thing but i think also when you when you when you think about it yeah a fighter does make sense for for a gunslinger but a ranger you know if you i always hearken back to sort of my western you know westerns you know so the guy who's roaming about like the man with no name and those old clint eastwood movies you know 
he never struck me as a fighter type. He's much more the ranger, the, you know, traveling across the land, getting there, and then shooting a bunch of people. (laughs) Casting Goodberry. Yeah, then he casts him through Barry, and then he goes on, you know. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. Oh, the best opening of any book. Well, not any book, but one of the best openings of every any book I've ever read. No, it's classic, and, and it's exactly like you would think of him as a ranger, I think, more than you would think of a fighter, right? Like, he's a robot, he knows how to survive. Um, he didn't exactly befriend those lobster creatures, but, you know, it worked out. <laughs> he fed them. Yeah, something. For those of you who don't know, we're talking about Dark Tower, Stephen King. Yeah, of- it's a it's a great book. It's a Fantastic great series. Book. Uh, yeah. The movie was uh, out of all the films ever made. It was one of them. Yep, definitely. Yeah. That definitely, <laughs> was, that definitely yeah, came out. There's a word for it. <laughs> Stephen King, we don't mean it. Please come on the show. It's too bad because you know Idris Elba could have been perfect for that. Oh, he was so awesome. Yeah, I've got a lot of feelings. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Idris Elba could almost play anything. That's fair. One hundred percent. You know Matthew McConaughey coming right out of the Lincoln commercial. Like, you know, <laughs> whose kids are these? How do they get in my Lincoln? <laughs> she should ask. So, Tome of Heroes, yep. uh, 70 subclasses. I believe there are 13 races listed, some of which are new, some of which are existing races where we get new subclasses. There, There's pages and pages of spells. There's new magic items. There's feats. There's backgrounds. That, like, there, there's all this stuff in here. Huge book. How many people worked on this? Because like, I, you can't have written all of all of this yourself in the time between now and when this was kickstarted. I would like to claim that I did, but that would be lying. No, there was there was um, about a dozen of us worked on it. Um, you know, some of us had bigger chunks of it than others because with any publishing company, you're, you're t- you tend to work on multiple projects at the same time. They all kind of overlap, and you kind of come off of one project and you roll into another one, but some people have already been starting with that project. And so they're a little bit farther along than you. Um, I started working on Tome of Heroes, I think March of last year. Yeah. March. And uh, we got done. I think earlier this year. Yeah. Oh, wow. so awesome. It was, it was a, um, yeah, about, a, I think a dozen designers in total, but then there was some stuff that, that people had that we pulled from some of our other, um, some of our other products and that we got to be, and to be fair, we got some flack for doing that, which is admittedly fair. Um, but the, what we looked, what we thought about was some of this material is in our patron only warlock z- uh, zine. And we're like, some people haven't seen this stuff. And if you haven't signed up for warlock, you should, but um, just the <laughs> link in the show notes. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we just thought, you know, since we're doing this book of player options, let's pull in some of this stuff that we've created for Warlock because most of the audience hasn't seen it yet. And it just sort of worked out. Speaking as one of the people who hasn't read all of Warlock, uh, I'm enjoying all of the things that may or may not have been in Warlock. Um, honestly, I, I think there are going to be a lot of people who are seeing a lot of this material for the first time. So even if it's even if it's included in the Warlock thing, then yeah, this is still new to a lot of people and yeah i understand the the kobold diehards reasonably might be like hey i've seen this before um did you make any updates to the stuff that was moved like update the rules text make corrections and things like that there was a bunch of stuff where you know we had gotten uh play test material or just comments from fans saying you know this spell 
or whatever it is, this class didn't really work. And so we, they were definitely, there's all, we were always tweaking things. We're always making little changes to try to um, make sure everything works right. Cause there's a lot of times when you design, it's probably a lot like writing movies because I, I, I'm a screenwriter in my, in my other job and things that look great on the page don't necessarily work great at the table. And there's been plenty of times where we've, where we've designed stuff, which is why we do playtesting, by the way. But there's plenty of stuff that goes to playtesting. We're like, this is going to be fine. And it comes back and they're like, this doesn't work at all. <laughs> it's like, I, Not I, my I'm stuff. sure my stuff's always perfect, but it, it's always great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure it isn't like this, but in my mind, what I've decided is that Brian, you walk into a room with a, a one-way mirror and you're looking upon a table where people are getting ready to play and you're very happy. You got coffee in one hand, maybe a cigar in the other hand. Do you have a cigar in the other hand? Sure. Why not? All right, cigar on the other hand, you're looking through the window. It's like, this is going to be great. And everybody is like, no, I hate this. Like flipping tables and stuff. And it's like, ah, back to the whiteboard. And you're walking. Is that, that's <laughs> no, what no. playtesting is like, right? Sure. But but you're leaving on an important feature. When okay. they start freaking out, that you lift the cover off the big red button and you push it. And then you need new playtesters. <laughs> Just the table <laughs> drops out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like Shark Tank, except for there's a real Shark Tank and there's fewer playtesters. Exactly. We're not getting police signing for playtesting. It's wonderful. Uh, the industry needs you. There's no sharks. <laughs> what if we're playtesting sharks? Then there might be some imaginary sharks. But Middle you don't want sharks. Yeah, you don't want to stand up at the game table because then you're LARPing. Yeah. <laughs> that's the line. That's the line. <laughs> Perfect. I feel like that's a fair line to have. <laughs> Look, IDM primarily standing up, and now I'm going to use that as an excuse to say, "Look, I'm the only one here larping. Get into this, guys." <laughs> I have to. I have to say that's that's a running gag at my at my home table because uh, we have a couple of people like do have larped in the past, and so anytime someone gets up, we're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." No LARPing. <laughs> That's awesome. So, take their jacket off. They're wearing a full cape. A scepter comes out of nowhere. <laughs> I would give inspiration for that, though. I mean, I mean, come on. That's, That's there's some forethought there. <laughs> Planning. Yeah. Then you find out there wasn't. That's just That's how they walk around every day. You, I see you've met my players. Yeah. <laughs> but I bet they're awesome. <laughs> Perfect. So talk, talking about kind of previous products, uh, one of the things that was cool for me, there's a lot that Cobalt has put out that I'm not familiar with. So I'm looking at the book. First of all, I'm going to ask you for pronunciation guide because I've only ever read it. Darkul? Darkul. Yep. Darkul. Darkul. Okay. Uh, a race of ghouls. And I'm reading this and it's awesome. Like there's all these different sub races, like the different features you might be taking. And I'm like, this would be fun to play. Like this is the kind of thing where... You know, first of all, if I can get a, somebody to play a whole campaign, that's fantastic. But we'd love to talk about one shots just to explore ideas. Sure. This would be an amazing race where I'm going to get a party. We're going to play this race, and we're going to explore this concept of like, you know, though we're very elegant, but also we eat people sometimes. It's great. <laughs> and as I'm looking at this, uh, I'm looking at it in front of Tyler, and I say to Tyler, it's like they have to have source material for this. So I go searching, and immediately I find Empire of the Ghouls, and it's like, okay. Now I've got like an entire source book that I can go and I can say, if I'm going to put together this one shot, I have everything I need. I say that to say like, when you bring these materials in that are coming in from maybe Warlock, uh, ideas that are coming in from either the Midgar setting, where you're, you're finally kind of giving players the content they need to have what they want to match what the GM's been bringing in for forever. Um, I love that you put this out because I feel like it's so complimentary to so many things that Cobalt has put out in the past. We, we really tried with, with Some of Heroes to, and I should say to everybody that it's not, this is not a book that is bait, that, that involves the Midgard setting, exactly. This is a system neutral 
You can use it in any 5e game. We have some references to Midgard's little sidebars say, well, if you're using this class in Midgard, here's some thoughts. But we really, you know, Cobalt Press started doing just Midgard. That was sort of our thing. But as we've grown, um, we've really tried to branch out and speak to the, the players and the GMs who aren't necessarily running Midgard, but still want good material. And that's really been our goal this whole time is to is to provide the best role-playing game material that we possibly can. And Tome of Heroes is, is, I think, one of our best. Yeah, it is really awesome. Yeah, I, I like that plan a lot. Um, for people who own or at least have heard about Tome of Beasts and, like, Similarly, Tome of Beasts references the Midgard setting for a few of the monsters, like the whole Tome of Beasts series. And then you've also got like the Creature Codex, and there's at least one more I'm forgetting the name of. But um, yeah, the books are easily to drop into any game, regardless of setting. They may reference Midgard where it's appropriate. Um, but yeah, the this is fantastic content that's just really easy to bring into your own game. Yeah, I I love Tome of Beasts. Like I've used so many monsters from it for my games because there's like I have weird settings, and I, there's not a lot of weird five E creatures. Or if there are, most of my players are familiar with it. So Tome of Beasts is a great way to sort of throw them a curveball. Um, and this this is just this is great. I love this. Like this is probably my favorite book of your guys. It's it's great. Yeah. Have you used the Ostinato yet? Which one's that? That's the song that gets in your head and then kills you. Yes, I have used that. I have used that. That was my mom. Used... Oh, really? That was your mom? <laughs> wait, wait. My mom signed up Go for on. the Kickstarter. I think it was Tome of Beasts 2, I don't I want to say, but she signed up for the Kickstarter because she was being they were being my parents were being supportive and it's the level they signed up on you they got to design a monster. And so she calls me up and she says, "Well, I get to design a monster now." And I said, oh, you're going to do that? She goes, no, I'm going to give you the idea and you're going to do it. And I said, <laughs> all right, I see how this is going. And so she gave me, the, she's a she's you know, very musical. And so she gave me this idea, this this called the ostinato, and it gets in your head and kills you. And so then I wrote it up and it ended up in the book. <laughs> it's a really great monster. So kudos to her for inventing it. I love that. It's such a creative one. Um, actually, I'm about to run a session that I'm using the Snow Queen for as a boss. I like it oh, as a template. Yeah. That'll be brutal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait for Tome of Beasts 3. Very oh, excited. I can't yeah, wait. 100%. Yeah, we're, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, just, we're just starting to see the first art come back because it's uh, the Kickstarter <gasps> ended a while back, and, and we're just starting to see the first art kind of coming. And it's very interesting as a designer – because you send in art briefs. Like when I design a monster, I write up an art brief, like a little descript, like prose description of what the thing, what I'm seeing in my head. And they hand it off to an artist. And sometimes it comes back the way you picture it. And sometimes it doesn't. And usually it's better because, you know, artists are very visual and we're, you know, we, we're a little vague often with the art, the art briefs. Like, yeah, they're kind of standing there with a sword and they, you know, but when the artist comes back, you're like, oh, look at that. It's so amazing. Yeah, props to your artists. They are some talented people, man. Like, the art in these books is great. Very evocative, very cool. Our artists are amazing, and, and everybody involved with the book, from, you know, the, the art editor just to layout, everybody does such a great job. I mean, the books look fabulous when they come in. For sure. Yeah, 100%. That is the, one of the things I've been most impressed about as, like, flipping through Toma Beast, looking through Toma Heroes, is exactly that. Like, the quality of the art is 
absolutely amazing. Well, it's the first thing you see when you pick up a, a game book. I mean, and it's it's that's what catches your eye. And and there's probably been a lot of game books in the past that were amazing, but if the art wasn't good, you sort of went, eh, you know, that's nice. But <laughs> and, and that does that make us shallow? Yeah, probably. But it's <laughs> true. <laughs> Uh, but, but also, like, you want it to be out in people's hands. You want, you know, when I talk about Toma Beast, I want people to say, it's like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think part of that is putting out a product that people are going to be excited about. They're going to be excited to use. They're going to be excited to promote. With Tome of Beasts, or, or I'm sorry, Tome, Tome of Heroes, very confusing with the two things. <laughs> with Tome of Heroes, I think the thing that, that are, that are gonna, that's going to make people most excited is, yeah, the subclasses are great and, you know, the spells in there and the equipment's fun. For me, the two things that I loved doing were the backgrounds because I have a pet peeve about backgrounds. <laughs> and okay. uh, I'll go into that first. But the, back, the thing about backgrounds is a lot of times they're not very useful. I mean, yeah, they give you your little, you know, they give you, you know, language or little items or whatever it is. But the, the feature that comes with it is very subjective. It's very like, yes, if you happen to be in a town and you have to talk to a noble and you happen to the noble background, sure, that's helpful, I guess. But the traits and the flaws and all the personality stuff tend to be things that you'll never use at the table. I mean, they're like, they're like I hate orc-made sandwiches. And you're like, well, that's never going to come up. <laughs> that's not actually an example, but, you know, it's... So when I, I work, the ones I worked on for this book, I really spent a long, probably far too long, figuring out traits and bonds and flaws and ideals that you would use every game session. You know, and it's, I always sort of in my head when I'm designing, I'm thinking about not only like is, where is the adventure, but also, especially with character stuff, is will this allow a player to throw lines to other players and by lines, basically like by throw them things for the other players to react off of. So if you have a trait, that's like, uh, I won't rest until I become the greatest swordsman ever. Actually, that's a pretty good one. It's hard, it's hard <laughs> to come up with bad ones, but you know, it's like, if you come up with one that, that doesn't uh, like that has a trait that you're never going to use in game or you'll use once that's, that's useless because a, you'll never remember to do it. Mm-hmm. And B, it's like once you've done it once, will it ever come up again? But if you have a trait that says you will have to knock at the do- knock on a door every time you open it, suddenly that happens all the time. It's like Robert, we're going in quiet this time. We're not going to make any noise. I need you to go first. You're the rogue. <laughs> it, 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 you know what it is? It's Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> 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 and, and not that I'm saying that every character needs to be obsessive compulsive, but you want to have things that not only make your character memorable, but things that other characters know about your character. And the, the traits and bonds, like some players don't need that stuff. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the very, like, you know, the, uh, some of the players at my table are super experienced and they will never use them. They created their own character and, but they have those things. They just don't need, they don't need those. But for the players who need them, they're you, they should be useful. So, like my favorite background is honestly it's the one that, that they use in the commercial for for Tome of Heroes, which is the monstrous ad- adoptee. Because oh, you know okay. cool. when you're raised by bugbears, you're gonna <laughs> act a little differently. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, yeah. 
The other one That's... was former adventurer. And I was taught, it took them a long time to talk me out of not including something about taking an arrow to the knee. I really wanted to include it because of, you know, played Skyrim. And that's something that the NPC in Skyrim says all the time. Yeah. I feel like we've had a mistake. Right? If you have a former adventurer, basically the only acceptable reason that you're a former adventurer is to the knee. Oh, man, that, that, meme, that meme is so 2011, my friend. <laughs> yeah. it, hey, November, look, November 11, 2011. They I, just I released classic. Skyrim. <laughs> oof, and oof. it doesn't matter doesn't matter what year you're listening to this podcast in they've just released skyrim oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want, if, here i'm gonna i'm gonna really date myself i played elder scrolls one arena wow Oof. oh yeah <laughs> That's and that, okay this was the one right where like you had to click on the left side of the screen and then you had to drag your mouse to the right side of the screen yes it was <laughs> oh that's awesome that's also terrible, but... Yeah, see, I started with Morrowind, and that still holds a firm place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, Mor- Morrowind was amazing. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. As far I, as the adventure goes, like, the whole, like, oh, I accidentally killed... Uh, what was the name? It wasn't Cicero. It was something like this, but, like, I killed him in the first 30 minutes of the game. I missed the warning that I've ruined the game, and now <laughs> I've just been running away for 50 hours. <laughs> yep. And it's like, oh, I gotta start over now. Oh God, no! <laughs> I, I can't. I, it's a, I don't know if you're surprised. I've never beaten Morrowind. Yeah, uh, a true story. The one I just told. It's like I had to, you know, because I started playing in like, uh, uh, well, I guess it would have been 11th grade in high school, and then at some point I had to graduate college, and so I just there wasn't enough time. <laughs> That's really the problem. I think I think if people are are rating how long they've been playing a particular video game by what year in school they were in. That game might be too long. <laughs> probably, probably. What if it was over? Just what a time limit? Like, yeah, okay, perfect. Like, literally, your character is old enough. Your character has died. That's, that's it. <laughs> hey, better than Traveler, where you can die during character creation. Yeah. Hey, oh that's a feature, God. not a bug. Yeah, Tyler loves to talk about this. <laughs> I, oh. I still have yet to to uh, run. I still have yet to have someone run Traveler for me, but. I've heard so many stories. Yep, I have. I I've played Traveler, and I had def- and I have also died during character creation. Nice. I I feel like I feel like there needs to be a badge for that or something. Like someone shows up at your house one day and it's just like, congratulations, yeah, you did right. it. I think it's also possible in Warhammer Fantasy to do that as well. Like I know Warhammer Fantasy has a similar background sort of character creation. It's like, oh yeah. You're a peasant who's in the gutter and has no wealth, and everybody hates you, and you're you have like one hit point left. Have fun. It definitely <laughs> harkens back to like really early D anD D when you when like when you used to have to roll uh, your st- your ability scores, and you had to roll them in order once, and it'd be like, oh, I rolled a three. I guess I am the weakest wizard ever. Not <laughs> <laughs> the mage with one hit point. I'm I'm the dumbest wizard ever, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wish me good luck. Don't knock that. One of the characters I've been dying to play is like the ogre wizard who's really not very smart. And he has like a pointed hat that says wizard on it, all spelled wrong and backwards. And he has a big axe, and he, but he really wants to be a wizard. He's just not really good at it. So you, 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 you take all your levels in wizard, except for you take maybe like one in fighter, just so you can do anything at all. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. One level of barbarian, the rest like sorcerer or something. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> or just go do what uh, Puffin Forest did and do one level on every class. <laughs> oh, 
God. <laughs> it's fine. You, you take one a uh, one level dip into Hexblade, everything's fine. Yep. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> it's the, it's the uh, MSG of subclasses. Just put a little on top, and everything will be great. I in a game that I'm playing in uh, for a setting that that is we're calling uh, Musket Punk, but it's uh, I was playing a bard for many levels, and we're, we're about level. 10 or 12, something like that. And I ended up multi-classing into Paladin for various in-game story reasons. And I'm thinking, well, this makes sense, but I'm boning myself. This is awful. No, it turned out that was really a great decision. <laughs> <laughs> because those smite those smite abilities work great with any bard spell. Like, just oh, slot, 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 slot. And I'm just, like, <laughs> doing massive damage all over the place. I was like, wow, I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... I guess, Brian, what's next for you? What are you working on next now that Tome of Heroes is imminently out there? We have, a, I have a, definitely working on a bunch of new Cobalt uh, Press stuff, um, including I'm about to start a uh, blog series on our, uh, on our website about planar stores. So basically establishments found across the plains. Um, so that'll be coming out at some point. Um, I'm working on, I'm a co- the new code lead developer uh, with Sarah Madsen. Uh, on a for a company called Draco Studios on a setting called Dragon Bond, and it's going to be it's a massive, massive project. Sometimes enough to make you weep, or at least <laughs> us make us weep about what we have to do in order to get this ready. But it is going to be a really fun setting, and as you can probably tell by the title, it does involve players getting their own dragons to ride around. So there is that's awesome. Yeah, it's Gonzo. Um, so look for that toward of sort of toward the end of the year, and okay, you know, awesome. cool. And uh, I also just finished something something for Animal King, Animal Adventures from Steamforge Games, which if you haven't played, it is a riot because you play you play animal adventurers like uh, you're a dog who happens to be a bard. Uh, Producer Dan has a copy <laughs> and their miniatures in his house. are stellar. Yes. Um, so big shout out for the Steamforge guys. Ah, there you go. <laughs> I'm holding up a copy of both. I have small children that I want to do tabletop, and they think animals are cute and cuddly. Yes, I'm definitely playing that with my kids. (laughs) 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 I I don't. I mean, actually, I have a kids game that I've been running since the beginning of the pandemic with my for my son and all of his friends. We played uh, three days a week during the pandemic. My wife called it my community service. Um, We did all, but now we're back in person. We just we're just at the end of Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Nice. Awesome. And yeah, that was perfect. Like I, Tyler actually did a, a similar game, got a little bit into it. Yeah, I, um, I got a few sessions in running Wild Beyond the Witchlight for my daughter and um, Jody, who was on our um, How to Play D&D podcast arc. Um, my daughter is very small and has a very short attention span, so we didn't get very far. But I'm, I'm hoping as she ages a little bit, we'll uh, gradually make it out of the Witchlight Carnival. I started with my son when he was 10 and, and now he and his friends are all into it. They're like when we are playing Saturday, we're playing Saturday, right? We're definitely playing Saturday. <laughs> I love wild beyond the witch. I think it's probably one of the best written, uh, Watsy games that, that they've done, but you were asking what's next. Yes. Um, so I will let you in on, a, it's not a secret exactly, but I will, I will let you in on the next big project from Cobalt press is called wastes of chaos. That's intriguing. So expect weirdness. It, um, mystery adventure, of course, and uh, you know things themed around wastelands and 
all the craziness that that ensues. I mean, well, it is. I'm excited. Will, yeah, will there right. be rad scorpions? Only, if, only if we're only if we're shifting all of our currency to bottle caps. <laughs> Good. No, I like this. No, no, for for the uninitiated, a rad scorpion is a, sca- is a scorpion on a skateboard with a backwards baseball cap. That's not what a rad scorpion is. <laughs> rad scorpion <laughs> is a monster from Fallout. God, what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. What Tyler said just as scary though. Okay, yeah, that's fair. No, the thing that Tyler said sounds like it should be like an after-school special mascot. <laughs> Rad Scorpion says, "Don't do drugs, kids." <laughs> I, th- I think you have a little. It, it's more of like, and it's like this is your scorpion on meth, and like it's just coming at you angry. It's really terrible. Crack dulls my stinger. That's how I keep it sharp. I don't do crack. I am going to the, the kids are looking at her and it's like, I don't know what to do with this message. I'm <laughs> very conflicted by all of this. <laughs> it's like, Dad, I did think that scorpion looked pretty cool. Perhaps on the way home, we can pick up um, the drugs. All of the drugs. Because <laughs> you know, right. air worked so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Wastelands of Chaos coming from Cobalt Press. There will be scorpions on skateboards. As far as you know. <laughs> and, and that is the... scorpions and skateboards brian i will be very upset it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a really hard sell <laughs> i mean calling up wolfgang and be like okay so i've got this idea i need you to hear me out now <laughs> okay all right, uh, you know, all right here's how you get away with it here's how you get away okay. with it all right you don't sell it as a skateboard there's a flying carpet in somewhere it happens to be roughly rectangular and small, and you have some kind of trap in or around the flying carpet that drops scorpions. All you have to do is get art of one of the scorpions falling onto the flying carpet mid-flight. Well, maybe the only way to, 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 to disarm the whole thing is to put little caps on each of them. Oh, that seems, yes. Yeah, it's kind Absolutely. of a complicated. It'd be like a skill challenge for the whole party. Everybody gets a little hat, and then just put them on the scorpion. Uh-huh. This is gonna work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is gonna work, team. All right, all right, Brian. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, guys, thanks for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. I hope I was somewhat coherent, which is you know that after a long day of designing, sometimes my wife will look at me and go, "I have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think we mostly had ideas of what you're talking about, so I think that went really well. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just fixated on this whole scorpion on this on the skateboard thing, so I'm going to be thinking about that all night now. Um, <laughs> We're going to workshop it a little bit. We'll get it put together. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks again. I'm, I'm Brian Suscon. I'm uh, one of the freelance designers from Cobalt Press. Uh, probably find me on uh, definitely on the uh, Cobalt Press Facebook and Discord. Also, Brian Suscon on Instagram and Brian Suscon on Twitter. And they said that they put my name in the comments so that people know how to spell it. Perfect. Yes, yeah, we will absolutely. Know. We'll have links in the show notes. You'll be able to find all the different Brian Suskinds on. Okay, no, this one Brian Suskind <laughs> on the internet in all the places that he is in particular. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week.
so sorry. My cat is attacking my microphone. Stop it.